0: Season six of the Missing Witches podcast is sponsored in part by Foxglove Farm. Go to foxglovefarm—that's farm with a ph, like pharmacy—dot com and use offer code Missing Witches when you sign up for your monthly subscription box of witchy delights. And sponsored by listeners like you—you you who join our Patreon and come to our coven meetings, you who buy our book recommend it to your friends and review it online we thank you and if you love this episode tip us at paypal.me missing witches
1: you aren't being a proper woman therefore you must be be a witch
0: you must be a witch Hello everyone! I see all your names here. Some of them are very familiar and some of them seem new. So welcome friends, welcome family, welcome new friends and new family. Welcome to the Missing Witches Coven and to our first event of this style, we've already run into some technical difficulties. So (laughs) I hope that you'll all bear with us and and we'll all come together in this moment without judgment or fear and just allow the technical difficulties to wash over us (laughs) as we carry on and just, you know, as we do for life, show up and try to learn something and have a good time. I obviously wanna thank all of you for coming, especially our panelists today. We've got one more panelist who is hopefully gonna join us at some point, And I will let all of you introduce yourselves because you will do a much better job at it than I will. Um, but today we're going to be entering this realm of Sawin, AKA Halloween. Um, and we're going to read from our book, Missing Witches, And we'll talk about that. And we're going to talk about growth and death and rot and all of the wonderful things that happen in the cycle of life and death. So something that we usually do uh, as a coven is to start out with a a musical introduction. Um, Those of you who are longtime fans of the podcast um, will know that Risa and I met backstage at a ukulele showcase so (laughs) um, music has always been a a major part of what we do as a team Risa and I and how our magic goes and how our coven evolved and those of you who have read the book know that we included um, two solstice carols for one for Letha and one for Yule um, which are missing, which is original carols um, that are now part of our traditions. And recently, um, I wrote/slash channeled one for Sawin. So Carol is here. Oh, <laughs> speaking of carols, Carol is here. Oh. The carol. So as Carol arrives. Oh, um, We will begin our carol. I think I have figured out the best way to hold a guitar and a wire at the same time. And I think, oh, not quite, almost. (laughs) And this is it. So everyone, thank you again so much for coming to our inaugural, hopefully. Um, mega meeting of the minds. Um, we'll be going around. Each of our guests has a question that they want to pose to all of us and to themselves. And then at the end, we'll all have an opportunity for questions and to answer those questions that our guests have brought. So let's all take a deep breath together. <sighs> Thank you all again for coming. This is the Missing Witches, Sawin Carol. <laughs> Can everyone hear the guitar okay?
2: That sounds beautiful.
0: As leaves and empires fall around me fall around me fall around me as leaves and empires Fall around me, fall around me, fall around me, I give thanks, I give thanks for the spirit in all things, for the magic that it brings, for the seasons change and so must I. The wind is night. Okay, sing along this time as leaves and empires, fall around me, fall around me, fall around me as leaves and empires, fall around. Me. Fall around me, fall around me. I give thanks. Thanks. I give thanks thanks for the spirit in all things for the magic that it brings for the seasons change, and so must I I saw.
2: Thank
0: you so much Amy. Thank you. Now I'm going to pass it to Risa and I will let in these people who have been, who missed the song.
2: <laughs> oh, beautiful people what a pleasure to see you um i'm gonna just suggest a couple quick things about zoom i know it's 2021 and we've all been in the zoom for forever but just in case um if you remember at the top right, you can change the view. If you want to change to gallery to see everyone, or if you want to just see who's speaking, <coughs> you can adjust that. If you want to mute yourself, it's in the bottom left. Um, and right at the bottom, there's a chat. So I invite you to introduce yourselves in the chat. We're really excited to see you. Our guests will be our formal official, I uh, guess. Um, Our our primary participants, our primary collaborators today will be introducing themselves, but while they're doing that, we'll invite you to do the same. So we're inviting them to share where they are and who their unseen collaborators are. Um, So think about it. We want to hear that from you too in the chat. My name is Risa. I am the co-host and co-creator of the Missing Witches podcast. I uh, am the co-author with Amy of our book. And the book is the reason we decided to throw this event. We do these monthly within our Patreon. And they were sort of something we stumbled into and have been really profound experiences for us in getting to know other people, other practitioners who are thinking about this intersection of awe and science. Um, And so we thought maybe as a way to celebrate this book in a weird pandemic time, we would do these and open up the invitation and we were really floored to see people wanted to join us. So in that spirit, I'm going to read a little kind of segmented piece from the Sawin chapter of the book because it's a book event and we want to share with you the words that we worked on and the reason why we called this event what we did, look, look for a door into the unknown country. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna begin with that and take a deep breath and sort of settle into my nerves of sitting and reading in this strange way. <sighs> Salvin sits in the space between one year dying and the next being born. And in that time, we get a glimpse into an unknown country. The word means summer's end and it is a window ledge a lintel on the doorway, a liminal evening through which we are leaning into the darker half of the year, at least from here. It is a festival of death, a festival of meeting our end as well as our ideas about death. It is a time for encountering the knowledge that this comes to us all, stepping out off the edges of all maps. In our travels through the underworld, witches become map makers, writes Amanda Yates Garcia, the Oracle of Los Angeles. Meeting death is beautiful and horrible, inspiring and the most terrifying. And so we dress up to meet this specter in ways that hide us or empower us, disguise and amplify us. In past years, Amy and I have celebrated this season together. She'd get dressed up in full glorious drag and we'd give out candy for hours or until it ran out where I would throw a party for hundreds of masked revelers playing one of my favorite roles, lurking in the background in black, making my magic unseen. And Amy would roll in just in time to win the costume contest. But this year, death looms and hangs all around us like spider webs. We are mid-pandemic at the time of writing, the coronavirus counter jumping by tens of thousands every day. My parents are in self-isolation A friend is separated from her children working 12-hour days in the ICU. Others from our coven are on the front lines in grocery stores or supporting women quarantined in unsafe homes. Another loses her daughter to cancer and can't collapse into her parents' arms. A friend's sister dies of suicide. My great aunt drives herself to the hospital rather than telling anyone she is sick and risk infecting them, and she dies of coronavirus there alone. We are weighted with loss and afraid for our elders and ourselves and for the future. By the time this book comes out, the world will be different somehow. We usually look to the future with a certain kind of confidence that things will progress rationally, gradually, but the future itself is that unknown country. It is a box in which we are both alive and dead and we know it now more than ever. The borders have closed and people sing to each other from their balconies, trying to remember the touch and friendly crush of crowded bars or a joyful hug or a sloppy two-cheek kiss on the street. Maybe by the time you hold this book, we will all have rushed back into each other's arms. Our daddy Roy writes, Our minds are still racing back and forth, longing for a return to normality, trying to stitch our future to our past and refusing to acknowledge the rupture. But the rupture exists. And in the midst of this terrible despair, it offers us a chance to rethink the doomsday machine we have built for ourselves. Nothing could be worse than a return to normality. Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and hatred, our avarice, our data banks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies behind us, or we can walk through lightly with little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. For me, it turns out that the best way to face death and to prepare to walk through this portal lightly and to fight for a new world is to continue to do this work, to see you all here with me, this great circle we make with our sympathy and our hope. This work of prying open the stories we've been told, not just to include the spectacular and heroic lives of women and witches of all genders and gender-conforming magical beings, but also their shocking and glittering ideas. This is healing work for me. Together, we disrupt the death spiral that has tried to erase what is magical in all of us. Together, we cast a circle, keep a portal open, and we help each other through. The guide we've chosen for this season is iconic tarot artist, Fixie Coleman-Smith. We tell some of her story in this book, a life on the road with artists and theater people and sailors in the late 19th century. Art school at Pratt, which she doesn't finish because her mother dies in Jamaica, and she's wracked by migraines. She writes and illustrates a book and her father takes her on a book tour and she meets Bram Stoker and William Butler Yeats and finds a family. In 1907, she had a major show, 72 drawings and watercolors in New York and a major critic called her pieces absolutely nerve shattering. Back in London, Pixie hosts a weekly at home for artists performing Anansi stories from the Jamaican tradition she'd grown up in. This young woman living all alone became a connector and a focal point for artists and thinkers. And at this time, she was living in parallel. She was a working artist, and she was also a member of the Golden Dawn, immersed in ceremonial magic. And it's here she meets A.E. Waite and is commissioned, a big job for very little cash, as she said, to complete the pieces of art for the deck. Waite had strong ideas about the design of the 22 trump cards of the major arcana, but he left the great emotional journey of the rest of the minor arcana entirely to Pixie. We tell more of her story in the book, but I wanna jump to the end because this is a season of endings. Often Pixie is characterized as dying penniless and unappreciated and though it's enraging that she didn't earn the royalties off her work on what would become the most popular tarot deck of all time. I think she did live a magical life right to the end. She lived 40 years with her love and best friend, Nora Lake. No small achievement in its own right for any of us. She had independent means, thanks to an inheritance from an uncle. And in the tarot cards, she left images of her friends, of her visions, of her personal understanding of a symbolism which links our minds to each other and to the spirit world. She left a map that deepened our understanding beyond words like she was hearing a distant music and translating it for millions of seers to come. So she is our guide for our end and for all the imagined ends we face at Samhain. As we spin towards the end of the wheel or before it spins again, I hope you hear these words of pixies ringing in your head. She wrote, banish fear, brace your courage. Place your ideal high up with the sun. Use your wits, use your eyes. Perhaps you use your physical eyes too much and only see the mask. Find the eyes within and look for the door into the unknown country. So with that, I'd like
3: to invite Becky to take us on a portal, would you? (laughs) Thank you for opening that door. Very, very apt timing. Um, Welcome witches and witches curious. Um, So happy to be here. Um, Before we get into our introductions and the conversation today, I just wanted to offer some words and perhaps some gentle invitations to prime us for some of the discussion we might have. And of course, the great work that needs to be done Um, So I have called this sequence a playful primer for portaling for possibilities um, as a small way of taking us out of wherever we've just come from, it might be work, childcare, projects, laundry, Um, and just stepping into this uh, portal for us with us for the next um, hour or so um, so feel free just to listen or if you feel like you want to respond somehow in a bodily embodied way please please do that too uh, just for a few minutes um, so following on from those wonderful offerings and introductions from Lisa and Amy um, We are, in fact, of course, entering the turning. We're entering this stage where ecologies take that great exhale into winter. So the sun, rather than bursting, appears to be tugged into view through a really molasses sky. It never quite seems to reach its full brightness before it retires. All the abundance that we've been surrounded in really starts to steal inwards. Uh, The trees start to imbibe the last of that light before it's nestling in the root. And those leaves were starting to see pirouette to the soil to commence their great rebirth into the other. So as we've already heard, sound of course marks the thinning of the veil between worlds, between life and death and earth and spirit. But where the human ordinarily sees The imminent winter is the numbing or dying of things. It is in fact fertile with possibilities. So those leaves that are pirouetting and falling, they aren't nothinging, they're becoming. Those trees aren't inert, they're gently gathering. The earth is in the process of possibling. So that thinning of the veil is a window, a cut, a shard, a portal. An invitation to sample, discover, imagine, play with the idea of what might emerge through winter or in the re-emerging spring. And our bodies of course are conduits for entering different worlds. So how might we prime ourselves for the glimmering that might be on offer? So, and feel free to follow, number one, as we enter the dark half of the year from the light, perhaps we just flash our eyes shut and awake to shock thoughts into view. Or perhaps we join the next Zoom call, or even this one, one eye closed. What emerges in that focusing or shift in view? Secondly, our senses are portals to knowledges. Perhaps you have something pungent nearby that you could smell, or you can join me in smelling your inner elbow, which is the scent of yourself and instantly grounds you back to yourself. Mm. Perhaps we gift a breath to ourselves. We warm up our senses ready to receive. So you may want to gift a warm breath on the back of your hand. Perhaps we choose to present ourselves slightly differently. It could begin just by saying your name backwards a few times. It could, could, perhaps you giggle. In this portal, we could also reshape ourselves slightly. What happens when we walk or slide backwards, or just sit on the edge of the chair, or sit in a position that is not customary. What emerges in that reconfiguring? Perhaps we need a new lens to change the view, or maybe we've had enough of watching and being watched and just need to
4: de-lens for a minute. Perhaps we use the lacing of our hands to block and open new views.
3: Hello. <laughs> Perhaps we step out into the ecology again, sensitive to the portals in our mists. Perhaps you find one and you choose to revisit it. There's a wonderful old English word, the smews which is the tiny hole in the hedge of hedgerows that line the English streets, which is where the scurriers and ground dwellers travel through. Perhaps it's a grove in a forest that you find, or perhaps it's just the simple wearing of a hagstone to keep that portal of possibility close to you when you need it most. It is the time of a turning. It's the opening of portals into possibility. So
4: let's enter together. Beautiful.
2: I mean, I think, I, I saw so many of us, like I saw Angela, like fist, f- pumping her fists with joy. At <laughs> the thank Oh, Becky, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm gonna share my screen to share some images that these guests have sent us and invite them one by one to share with you a bit of their work, a bit of who they are, you'll see why we asked them to be here with us at this turning point. And um, we acknowledge all of us in the way we work. We work with unseen collaborators. Um, I'll tell you for myself, my unseen collaborators here, I just drove on the highway to be sit in the basement to, in my uh, my partner's parents' house so I can hear my kid and partner and parents like thundering across backwards and forth above and I feel the sort of thunder of the road and the highway and my energy is very like sort of jittery and nervous and it's okay like I sort of thrive on that and I, I'm pouring out some of my 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 thrill of that experience in to all of you. And I, if you feel like it's too much, then block me out. <laughs> um, I'm going to share my screen and invite, oh, um, Amy, I think you might have to make me host again to share my screen. And we'll start with White Feather. And I will share this all with you. There we go. I have to go here and then start. There we go. Does that look
4: all right? Yeah. All right. Yep. Hey, everybody. It's really nice to see everybody's faces. I have been sort of part of the Missing Witches Coven pretty much since the beginning. Season one. And uh, yeah, and it's it's just been an incredible journey. And I've really enjoyed having the opportunity to you know, sort of talk and share the evolution of my work uh, over the past few years. I can't believe it's been three years now. Um, But uh, what you're looking at here is me working in the lab. Um, I refer to myself as the witch in the lab coat. And essentially my research is looking at ways that magic and science can intersect. And one of the ways for me, um, you know, as a witch, is to sort of bring an awareness of the agency of microorganisms um, into the work that I do. And it's it's a really it's it's a tightrope walk for me because, you know, I want to respect and acknowledge the labor that you know cellular microorganisms are performing in my work. But at the same time, I bring an awareness that these, these microorganisms are performing in very controlled conditions, conditions that I control, conditions that the institution controls, um, even you, know, you can extend it to conditions that society controls. So many layers of control there. So I'm very hesitant to refer to the microorganisms as my collaborators because they're not. It's you know collaboration implies willingness and consent. And so I I keep my notions of collaboration to my human collaborators for the most part, and you are seeing some of them here. This is the Bactinctorium team. Um, We work with pigment producing microbes to experiment with using the pigments from bacteria to dye cloth and print on cloth and look at creative applications of those tiny, tiny, tiny molecules of pigment this is a photo taken by Alex Bachmeyer. She is the only one who's not present in the photo. So here we are inoculating a nutrient solution with the same kind of bacteria that grows in your shower or your toilet. If you don't clean it frequently enough, it makes this beautiful red color when it's you know highly amplified and concentrated in culture in the lab. So these are my human collaborators. We are kind of, you know, looking at ways that the agency of microbes can impact our work. Now this is the Australian outback, um, Western Australia. It's the Sterling mountain range right after a wildfire has ravaged through. And this was a site of specimen collection. Um, one One of the things that I do is look at ways that I can find alternatives to laboratory practices that are banking on the bodies of non-human animal others. So instead I use my own body materials. Um, I'm looking at ways of developing uh, serum from menstrual fluid and using stem cells from my own menstrual fluid to culture cells in the lab. And so this was a collection site when I was on a road trip, I pulled over on the side of the road Dumped my menstrual cup into a sterile tube and took it back to the lab. So, you know, the outdoors is coming into the lab as well. Um, Yeah, I just thought that it's really important to think about, you know, doing our work and our research in multiple intersecting environments and, you know, witches kind of think of nature as their playground and their laboratory. And I certainly do, but also bringing that you know, aspect back into the laboratory as well, which is supposed to be this really isolated aseptic space, but in actual fact, it's not. So, are these all of the images that I sent you? I think so. Those are them. And feather. I'm going to make a small, and to all of
2: our um, guests, I'm going to make a small tweak to the schedule and just invite you to share your question now. You can just plant it as a seed as part of your introduction, and then we'll just open up the conversation when we're done with introductions. So do you want
4: to share that? Sure. Yeah. Um, so my question, I don't have the exact wording in front of me, but it, it was something along the lines of, you know, witches. is are often culturally feared for their powers of manipulation and manipulation has its root word uh, in manu which is the word for hand and so you know as an artist as a craftsperson um as a crafty woman i work with my hands a lot and you know this is this these these powers to manipulate materials Um, you know, for me, including other living organisms, microorganisms, um, comes with the necessity to respect uh, the will and the agency of, you know, these other elements that I'm bringing into my work. So my question, you know, to all of you, um, to the other guests is, how do you think about your power to manipulate in ways where you're framing it uh, in such a way that you can respect the will um, of others, including universal will.
2: I look forward to having that conversation so much. Let's see here. How do I? There. Thank you.
3: Please Hi again, everybody. um I'm Becky from London, living in London, uh, a blend of English and Jamaican. Uh, I'm an artist or artist researcher or art ecologist. I'm still working out how to frame that. Um, And I am completely enraptured with notions of animacy, liveliness, the soft-edgedness and indeterminate nature of our ecology, which we have been conditioned to contain, classify, control other, um, and it forms part of this great detachment or estrangement um, from ourselves as part of ecology. Um, So to that end, my work is exploring sensory, embodied, imaginative art practice that might help us kind of reawaken, reenchant, enchant our vibrant earth, re-stitch us back into the ecology and recognise the ways that we are in extraordinary um, relation. And my companions can be found in the ancient woodland, particularly the urban ancient woodland, and it's the deviant matter of so-called dead wood it's the resistant materials of uh, the assemblages and the soft edge soils. And kind of part of this work is excavating those kind of suppressed ontologies and epistemologies of which magic and witchcraft is of course, right at the center as a means of resisting those hegemonies and becoming kind of indigenous to place. Um, So kind of in reference to today's gathering in particular, I tend to use kind of ritual and spell work as an attentioning and gratitude practice. Um, and I am honored to be part of the one and only bioart art coven led by Whitefeather today, um, where I help convene our new moon gatherings, which is a wonderful space for witches of all practices to um, share their work and ideas. Um, And I'm also partial to hosting the Odd Spell or Ritual at really stuffy conferences, which I love. (laughs) Um, And I'm really uh, keen to get us out of the head and back into the flesh. Um, And one other project that I run is called Soft Tissue. um, And it's an invitation kind of like-spirited practitioners to kind of really think about how actually learning to think with our hands again, rehearsing ideas with touch and activating our embodied mind can help us navigate this cri- these really critical times with a sense of care. Um, I'd also host a lot of participatory offerings um, and I'm actually working on a project which I'm loosely calling the Feminist New Materialist Cookbook. It's a holding title. I know that that is far from an ideal title. Um, and it's actually really t- closely tied to the Living Bio-Art Coven Manifesto um, led by White Feather Hunter, but authored by about 45 witches, um, where we're really um, looking at the messy edges of material, these infinite cycles of reproduction, the idea of agitating um. In, the, in wherever you find your lab and um, the omni-shifting nature of materials that are in dialogue with their atmospheres and conditions. Um, and I have a master's in art and science, so I'm used to smushing things together. Um, and I'm actually the first of a cohort in a brand new master's in art and ecology in Goldsmiths in London. So I'm having lots of adventures in the soft edges um, finding companions along the way. Um, and I guess my my part of my question for today is, you know, around the fact that we're very much around amongst the like spirited um, and I'm really curious to know how we um, how other witches or witch curious and um, have involved other people who aren't necessarily initiated into this work? Um, What what challenges have you found trying to draw people into these uh, new ways of knowing or excavated ways of knowing um, what has delighted you about the experience and what are the challenges? Um, I, yeah, it's my constant, my, uh, constant question in every space I enter, I think. So yeah, look forward to discussing with everyone today. And thank you for the welcome and invitation.
2: Oh, thank you.
4: Angela, can you share with us?
1: Hi, everyone. I am Angela Alberto. I live in Portland, Oregon on Cowlitz Chinook unceded lands. And I am a deaf midwife. I am someone who helps families remember how to take care of their ill and dying, and have, if they want, host home funerals, etc. My um, this is my spiel, right? Like, you know, what else? What else do I do? I also <laughs> um, I work with kids, and I help parents, teachers, and educators um, talk learn how to talk to their kids about death and dying Um, it's so funny because i i I love the opportunity to be able to bring my witchy self out as well and i do pretty frequently but it's really nice to be able to tie those things together here like being a death midwife and being a witch is what gives me the ability to do this work Um, One of the things that we, uh, Amy and Risa requested is that we send photos of our work. And what's interesting is each photo that you see here, that first one was um, my favorite place to go hiking. The second one was the moon in my house. This one is right around the street, like right around the corner in my neighborhood. And what I feel like I've recently been going through is... um, A homecoming to myself and I feel like 2020 has been a time for me and 2021 a time for me to like really claim the things that I know I'm supposed to be doing like helping the dead helping those loved ones who are dealing with the death of a loved one talking with kids about this work um and it's just there's been so much death as we all know and so much grief and our society has refused to to face it in, in for years past right and now i feel like the dead are leading the way and asking to be held and looked at and moved forward and cared for and given offerings and there's no denying it the fact that we are all mortal. And like, how do we want to accept that and choose to live each day? And how can we like hold this collective grief that we're all going through, the grief of our planet dying or shifting? I don't know how you wanna look at it right now. Um, the grief of like all the all the people we lost due to this virus. Like all of us have been affected from this. And like, I'm here to hold that torch in the dark so we can like tend to our hearts. And it's really scary being in the dark sometimes, but there are those of us who know the way through the labyrinth and that's why I'm here. And that's what I do. And I still, you know, even though I'm in the dark often with this work and like looking at death, you know, I still have very human reactions to it sometimes. Um, what you see here in front of me is uh, on the screen, are, these are my bones that I throw and cast. Um, I'm a bone thrower. This is something that also links me to my death work and links me to my ancestors. Um, I don't know what else to say about it other than it's one of my favorite ways to, to divinate, to do divination. Um, and I feel like I'm rambly trying to like keep up with the slides and then share what's on my mind, but whatever, it's all good. Um, and this is my, the image of my presentation that I am releasing out to the public at the end of this month. So this is like a new thing where because of all the death that's happening and because of all the ways that, um, some of the, you know, like the kids they know that like things are going on for their parents and for themselves. You know, some of the older children that I work with who are um, seven, eight, nine, they remember being in school and didn't have to wear masks, right? There's grief there for these kids. Um, So I feel like right now it's this collective um, energy where we're being asked to look at how we interact with our own grief when it comes to death, loss, and dying. And that could be, you know, it doesn't have to be a physical death of a person. It could be the death of the way things once were, right? The transition of that. Um, But I think we're all being asked right now to look at these dark places, especially because of the fact that it's Samhain. um, And also the fact that, you know, the past two years have been um so much collective death. So I ask you to the question that I wrote was this, but I think I'm gonna change it on the fly. <laughs> um no, it's the same. Okay. My question is more of a brainstorm. Like how, like I want to hear how are we going to move forward with this collective grief that we're carrying? How are we going to handle our grief? Remember to grieve? Now, How are we going to celebrate? Like find hope and balance, right? And I I just ask of you to to know yourself when grief arises. Because how you handle it is how your kids are going to handle it. You model for them when death and loss and grief and happiness and joy and love, when all the emotions come around you as the adult in kids' lives. And this isn't, I'm not just talking to like people who have kids, like I don't have children and they model from me because I'm around kids, right? Kids watch adults. So I just ask you to know yourself well when it comes to your grief and find appropriate healthy ways to converse about it and deal with it and move with it because it's a cycle grief. It doesn't, there's no end point. It's just gonna, like the turn of the wheel, it's gonna keep going round. And sometimes it'll be easier and sometimes it'll be harder.
2: Thanks, Angela. Yeah. Beautiful. And
4: Carol, you're here.
5: I'm so glad to be here. And I wanna thank everyone who's here with us today and especially Risa and Amy and the guests. So I'm going to show you nine images that will tell you a little bit about my interspecies art practice. Huh? What's that? Mm -hmm. Um, I think of my practice as being part of a working team of mycelia, sheep, dye plants, herbs, all the critters of the earth, soil, chickens, and bees. And what we're doing together is trying to uh, bring to life in people the concept that the idea of the biological individual is really a lie. We are made up of all kinds of critters, we have more non human DNA in us than human DNA. Part of this work is dissolving the boundary between life and death as the mycelia lead and teach us. And by doing that, we're kind of reinforcing the understanding of the web of life. That's all the text. Now I'm going to show you eight images to bring this to life. This is my backyard in Hartford. It's a little urban space that's full of dye plants, all the beings um, I described except for the sheep, Um, and that little building in the back is where I weave with mycelia. So basically, the idea is that um, Mycelia and I are weaving together. We are co-weavers of sculptures that are used in workshops to help people, and we can look at the next one now, to help people understand that um, they are part of this kind of biological multiplicity. And after those sculptures are finished working in workshops. Uh, the mycelia and the textiles that we make together go back into the earth, and this is the uh, revivified earth that we depave to find in our backyard and uh, that we nourish through these sculptures, so here's a little detail of the mycelia of oyster mushrooms poking forth in one of these sculptures. And here's my friend Lauren in one of the workshops. I like to create sculptural objects where your skin biome can have a little chat with the mycelia of the oyster mushroom. And so there's skin to mycelia, contact mycelia from the skin, talking to mycelia from the weavings. And then they go back into the earth and they just dissolve. They bring the living mycelia into the backyard. And so then I have these uh, mushrooms popping up.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: I've taken to placing wood chips as part of my soil um, sustenance practices and the mycelia love, love, love this. And it's been delightful to see how now I have a run of mycelia through the backyard from these oyster mushrooms, as well as the Uh, honey mushrooms and other um, mycelia that are already there. So this spring was the first spring that the oyster mushrooms volunteered after two summers of this practice. And another part of um, this co-weaving is that recently my dear friend Rob and I started a small spinner's flock in um, rural Connecticut. And so here we have Thor on the left and Rob on the right. (laughs) And uh, this has deepened my awareness of um, death and life and blurring these lines a little bit because part of the responsibility of tending sheep is understanding the web of life in terms of predation and the critters who are looking for food constantly. And aren't we all? Um, But coyotes, bobcats, and bear in particular are the apex predators in this part of the world. And um recently we had a lone male young coyote who we saw on our uh, wildlife cameras out there that kept getting closer and closer and visiting and revisiting and preparing to take one of our sheep and um, we made the decision to trap and kill it and then did a I did a ritual to um, honor its life, um, plan to use its pelt, nourish the soil with its body, and um, made this sigil on the left um, that's part of that awareness that um, when we're part of the web of life, there is life and death that's part of that. And when we are shepherds um, with these very domesticated animals, there are times where we may need to protect them in that way. Um, So when I got the invitation to talk about death, um, and had recently had this experience, I thought I would bring it in. I know it's a difficult subject, but I feel it's important to um, acknowledge this complexity of being part of the web of life where we're all um, dying, living, feeding, nourishing, uh, sacrificing, um, being sacrificed together in a way. So my question for the group is um, what experience have you had recently that has helped you go deeper with your experiences of death? And what traces does that leave you in your life?
2: Thanks, Carol. And, and thanks, everyone. Um, these questions are all so profound um i'm going to switch turn off screen share and switch to speaker review i invite you to do the same so you can see whoever is speaking or you can stay gallery view. it doesn't really matter we will have a little bit of time to dig into these open questions not enough time as any of these questions deserves There are sort of an endless interweaving and questioning for ourselves I'll also share them on all of our social media after. So if you wanna come back to those questions and keep opening them up. And like I said before, we do have these conversations on our Patreon. So if you wanna come and chat with us more, we're over there all the time. Um, I invite you to pick up any of those questions, but maybe um, we could turn first to this idea. Um, I don't know Carol or, or Becky, if you had thoughts on this, a white feathers question about our owning our, our power, our, our, our manipulation, and how do we find that balance um, with our collaborators or our ways of, of manipulating the world that are not in perhaps collaboration. Sorry if I didn't phrase that well, white feather.
3: Um, yeah I'm happy to I'm happy to uh step in (laughs) and attempt to (laughs) respond to that magnificent and magnitudinous question Mm um I um I really love this question and I've been thinking and wondering whether um as with your position as a witch you're well placed to kind of bring this idea of kind of um ritual as a kind of care practice into the way you're working with materials. Um, Yeah, so I I totally agree that the idea of kind of more than human collaborators so often gets bandied around. And again, it's it's things we've discussed previously that collaboration implies that level of consent. So if we don't have the consent, what other things could we do that bring care into the mix? And it could be things such as kind of how we ask permissions, how we respect that material, whether it's kind of how we handle waste or the um or yeah by adding that element of ritual perhaps that extra time that extra layer of um noticing and attention and gratitude for the material that you're working with um, yeah we can infuse those moments of um yeah what was so-called manipulation um with kind of care and consideration and and a sense of reciprocity um, So, yeah, I think that's something, especially as from from a a witch standpoint, we are well placed to try and introduce into some of those spaces, perhaps. Beautiful, beautiful. I I
5: really appreciate the question and also Becky's thoughts on this. Um, One of the things that has struck me recently about this manipulation and the hand is the practice of letting go. I'm currently here in Marshfield, um, Vermont, at the Marshfield School of Weaving, learning ancestral practices of spinning and weaving. And there's a gesture in spinning where you're drafting with the wool and you're letting the spinning of the wheel carry the wool right out of your hand. You're letting go. Um I knew the phone was going to ring if I spoke. <laughs> Let's consider it the ancestors calling in. Yeah. You can think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this idea that you uh, can manipulate by being still mm-hmm. and letting go and listening And um, learning by releasing is something that's um, really palpable for me right now. And I think part of that is that I was raised to always have this agency and do things. And so for me, one of my lessons is to be still and to release and listen more.
2: Mm. Go ahead, Amy.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to sort of include this like, you know, paradoxical notion that comes up in all aspects of our lives and especially witchcraft, these things that don't have singular meaning. Um, Whitefeather you bring up this word manipulation and and it has a negative connotation oh she's a manipulative person they're just doing that to manipulate me but there's also this notion like you say Whitefeather uh, of just using our hands to do things and Risa and I of course are authors we're writers um, so when we We think about language all the time. We manipulate words and put them in different places to create sentence structure. And even a single word such as manipulate can be manipulated (laughs) to mean other things, to form other ideas. So... I just wanted to draw attention to this like non-binary universe of, of, you know, mushrooms and magic and language. And when we, even when we ask these questions of each other, they're sort of bound by our vocabulary, the words that we know, the sentences, structures that are familiar to us. So I'm trying to sort of shake off this idea of manipulative and the heavy negative connotation that I feel like, It has for me when I hear it as someone who 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 strives to be, you know, authentic and honest and collaborative, uh, you you know, to use that word in the same sense that White Feather said it implies consent and all of these other things, you know, Mm -hmm. so. When I boil pasta, I'm I'm manipulating the laws of physics in order to make this meal for myself, you know, heating water and boiling it and putting dry goods into it. <laughs> so I, I just get excited about this notion of being conscious of our manipulations. And I think that works when we're trying to get other people to bend to our will and being more conscious that that's what we're doing. But also the the magic of our hands and our ability to create sentences. Use those sentences to create ideas. Use those ideas to create things. Anyway, um, someone in the chat is is saying manipulation and participation and putting those Mm. words together, you know, it's the mere act of existence um thank you Jonathan oh it's Jonathan Jonathan. (laughs) so that's what I wanted to say about that that everything is is it has the possibility of manipulation including the words that we use at all Mm -hmm. times
2: yeah I think a lot of people are responding to what you're saying in the chat Amy and I did want to circle back we had a question about how are we Carol's question and Angela's question, I think, are related. How? What is an experience that has deepened your relationship with death? And how are you mourning? Um, those questions hit really hard for me when I got them in my inbox after asking for them. Um, I mean, this year, I, I keep realizing how numb I am and keep trying to do the work to not be numb, but also to protect myself. Um, I think it relates to how I think about manipulation as well, actually, that for me it's about hospitality and boundaries, what what can I welcome and how can I care for the things that I have called in and welcomed, and when do I need to make safe boundaries, Um, and I need to welcome my mourning and my sense of um, being too far afield after the last year, you know, being unmoored, and I need to find like Angela said, safe places to sit with that, um, but I, I also need to, to put up walls around it sometimes. Um, Angela, do you want to speak to that? And I know also someone in the chat um, was generous with sharing their experience that a miscarriage, even over a decade ago, has shaped their whole understanding of death. And I know that that is true for so many of us and is such a unhad conversation that I wanted to make sure I I say it out loud that so, so many of us have experienced life and death within our own bodies.
1: Absolutely. Um, there's a great woman named Joanne and her Instagram handle is Inviting Abundance. And she has a class called Holding Space for Pregnancy Loss um, that I'm currently taking. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And she talks about what I feel passionate about is like we need to have these conversations because so often people who have miscarriages or people who have stillbirths, et cetera, don't have this support system around them because people don't want to look at it. Mm-hmm. They don't acknowledge it. Like when a death happens to like an elderly person, people show up with the flowers and the food and they do the cultural thing that they're supposed to do. But when it happens in a tragic way or um, suicide or silver, you know, in the ways that are really hard to look at, people forget to show up for the person who's in, who's the griever. Not that they forget, but it's that hard. And I want to like Risa, I want to acknowledge what you just said about the idea of being numb. Mm. I think that's okay. Cause you mm. see, you see it and you know, you're like, I'm numbing you now. And that's okay. Cause you know, I think it's when we don't see it, that it can become, you know, not a problem, but it can become tricky. So like, good on you for being like, yes, I see this. I know this about myself and I'm going to need that boundary. And that's great. That's great. Um, But yes, I, you know, I'm so passionate about bringing these conversations to the table because there's so many ways that we grieve and there's so many ways we can support. Um, You know, I want to offer the idea, like in our culture, it's, you know, we say, I'm sorry for your loss. And what that does is like that cuts the connection between you and the person who's grieving. Mm -hmm. So like figure out a way to like keep that heart connection with the griever by saying like, that sounds so hard. Or I don't know what to say, but I know I'm here for you. That tells that, that gives space for the griever to feel held. Mm -hmm. Right. And all, every single one of us is grieving right now. So like, I ask all of you, like, I don't know what to say, but like, I love you and I'm here and like legit, like reach out to me if you're having a hard day and I'll take a moment to like send you love and support you. Cause that's what we need to be doing right now. It's like weaving that web of connection and love and support as we all like walk this fucking dark path. Mm -hmm. We're in it together. You may not, you might, the dark but like I'm next to you on the floor and I have your hand and someone has my hand on this side like we're not alone in this even though it might feel like that we're not I love you all
4: thanks Angela
3: wait, wait so Angela. oh go ahead thank you oh sorry no I just wanted to respond to that and also yeah. you know, tie in something that Angela was saying and, uh, with what Amy presented to us at the beginning. So um, I've been thinking more, I've been introduced more with the idea of lament and the fact that we do not collectively lament enough in society, even with kind of this full planet grieving that's happening, we jump to how do we solve it? How do we get rid of it? And we don't create that space with just that collective regret, sadness, sorrow. Um, And there's some wonderful work by um, artist Julia Adzuki um, who's talking about music. She studies the Finnish Aurelian tradition. I hope I've said that correctly. And she says, when one person sings their pain, it strikes a chord and resonates with others. And the idea that this sound needs to be heard and held by others in order to land somewhere and resonate and I think we kind of felt that at the beginning with Amy's wonderful offering um so yeah allowing places for those reverberations to to ripple amongst each other um yeah for me as a way that I'm thinking around yeah the, the missing part between uh crisis and resolution is actually this big space in between for um yeah for lamenting Mm -hmm. the collective whale is needed
4: Mm -hmm.
1: there there's women in who used to get paid to go to funerals they're called keeners in Ireland um in Sardinia in Italy they're the grieving women and they would get paid to go whale at funerals and that's a lost art that like I want to bring it the fuck back because it is needed. There's power in our, in our storehouse, in our bellies. When we let ourselves uh, like wail from that space, there's shedding of grief. You let it out of your body. There's a a talk by Martin Prischel called grief and praise. And he talks about how grief can get stuck in the body and become hardened and become disease in some ways. And like when you flow with it and move with it and do that one thing for five minutes, if it's that, you move it up out of your body and that like, you know, maybe I'll host the collective whale at some point. We all can yell together, muted maybe, but you know, or not, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Becky. That's It's so, yes, so true. Collective whale, please.
2: Um, I want to tie that into a question that came in earlier on the chat from Jonathan, my friend and collaborator here in Montreal, and, and maybe turn this one to White Feather and then maybe to Carol, because this is a question about how we feel, what are tactics, what's your practice for feeling that you are not alone, that you are ecosystem? Are there ways you can suggest for us? I've seen pictures of Carol's um, mushroom sculptures I balanced on, on people, just living and breathing that moment. And, and then I went out and like, dug my hands into the mushrooms near my house is thinking of you Carol. So I know one, one piece of the answer, but I'd love to hear you both speak about that. Wait, Feather, do you wanna start? I know you had your hand up earlier too.
4: I was going to come back around to this idea of manipulation, its relationship, to death um, and mushrooms altogether um, in my practice. And maybe it'll kind of yeah. swing around to what you're asking. Um, I, want, I want for all of us to own our power to manipulate. And you know I liked what you were talking about, Amy, with acknowledging that it has this negative connotation, but I think also that negative connotation has been used against us To take our power away, Um, you know. And for me, working in a lab with microorganisms that I control and care for um, requires a great amount of humility. You know, working in science fields, and this is something that may often be missing, um, you know, from scientific experimentation. This sense of humility, and for me, my direct and immediate experience with death over the past two years brought me to my knees, brought me to a place of humility um, on a very personal level because I was infected with COVID in March 2020, you know, when nobody knew anything about it. And I was living every single day with the fear of death. I, I felt it close to me. It was in bed with me for weeks. And that made me realize that My experiences and my conceptions of death up until that point had been very much centered in the iconography of death. And, you know, these are tools that we use um, as witches to navigate these spaces that are perhaps unknown to us, um, you know, and they're scary. And when you're in it, and it becomes palpable and real, and you're on the precipice and you know you can die at any moment, this becomes a really traumatic experience. And I feel like this is why it's so important to have people like Angela to, you know, support us in this space, in this transitional space. Um, For me, I was able to get a lot of support, from the mushroom world um you know from microdosing psilocybin which helped move me past that space of trauma and you know come back into the land of the living this was my doorway um you know through this unknown space this this was my my hecate i guess um, you know this is what mushrooms did for me so i feel like by sort of acknowledging the power of these non-human agents, um, also acknowledging, you know, what I have to offer in terms of care, like Becky was talking about, how that reciprocal relationship can, you know, be conducted through a space of humility is sort of one way that I've been able to not feel quite so alone in in one of the darkest times of my life.
2: Yeah, I think you have a lot of people who resonate with what you're saying. And I, I'm glad the mushrooms were there with you on that road back. I'm glad, I'm glad you're here with us on this side, whatever this side is. Carol, will you take us yeah. t- take us home? I think this will be the- Thank you for
5: sharing that white feather. That was, um, I think, part of our conversation that we really needed to hear. Um, as we're thinking about Uh, ways of tapping into our fundamental connection with the web of life on the planet. I have a few thoughts. Um, One is to definitely notice what creatures, beings are calling you and are tapping on your shoulder, because I think we are living in a time where Um, The tree ones, the winged ones, the swimming ones, the four-legged ones are indeed reaching out to us, as are the ones who are no longer breathing. And so keep an ear out and respond and play. That's number one. My second idea is to remember the capacity you have through your senses. Um, For me, I do a practice of every night as i'm falling asleep Um, opening up my senses to all of the life that lives within my body. And it helps me relax. Um, I put my arms over my head and it kind of stimulates that vagus nerve that just kind of calms your um, nervous system. And then I follow that with gratitude for the beings that are in me and around me. Um, But I think the senses are such a reliable capacity we're gifted with in our bodies Um, And then I also wanted to say, there's no coincidence that right now there's such a resurgence in mushrooms. Um, They are caretaking us right now. And whether... um, you're a psilocybin uh, aficionado or want to be, or whether you are um, somebody who just wants to think about the ways they are decomposing and building new worlds through death. Um, There's so much that um, mycelia can teach us. So those were my thoughts.
2: Thanks, Carol. I'm glad you were the one to bring us home with that. I know for myself, one of the great quiet joys for me right now. I I recently got a copy of Julia Skinner, Doctor, which Doctor Julia Skinner's uh, Fermentation Oracle Deck, and she has in it the most simple recipe for mead, which is just water and honey, and you shake it every day, and it glows in the light, and you that's all you do, and it's just sort of slowly changing. The natural yeasts within it are changing, and every day I hold it, and I realized, you know, it's six months since I lost the job that had defined me for 10 years, it's, you know... It's this year, this two years of of death and overthrow. It's, you know, three years since my daughter was born, two years since she almost died in my arms. It's, I'm just turning this honey, you know, I'm just turning it and something is changing. And that is all that I am at right now. It's called the Fermentation or uh, the Hidden Cosmos of Fermentation Oracle Deck by Julia Skinner. She's been on our podcast. As a closing word, I will invite you all to listen to our podcast, if you haven't before. We we have people like the brilliant people here um, who we are honored to sit with. Um, And we tell stories of real witches. Um, And if you wanna join us on our Patreon, we have these conversations monthly. It's not tiered. So whatever you feel comfortable with, we would be honored to have you. And those are my little plugs. Um, I hope you'll forgive a little plug on a Friday afternoon. Um, And I do want to continue this conversation with all of you, um, but I want to be respectful of everybody's time as well. So I'm going to turn it over to uh, my beloved friend and collaborator, Life Changer, my friend Amy and she will give us a last little bit of a reading and then we sort of change our plan on the fly again and instead of whatever I was going to do she's going to sing that carol one more time and then we'll say good afternoon. Thanks everyone.
0: Um, I, I, I really want to say on, on this subject of collaboration and death um, that Risa and I have have been collaborating since we met. It's just sort of how we built our friendship. But something that's very interesting to me is that, you know, she became a parent for the first time and six months later, I lost a parent for the first time. And six months after that, she almost lost her child. So she and I have this sort of rooted system of this exchange between life and death. Um, And to us, and why we're here—it is both science and poetry. It is a wave that washes over us, and a boil of a pot of water that we boil. Um, someone said to me in an Instagram uh, message the other day that they felt that poetry was a bacteria, that it travels, and that to me is ultimately the goal—one of the many goals of the Missing Witches Project and something that I'll turn to a quote from another amazing witch that we reproduced in this book, Um, to put a mighty fist up and also punch it toward the idea that witches are anti-science, witches are the original scientists, and poets are scientists and scientists are poets, and mycelium networks and poetry networks, and networks, 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 and doing away with this notion of individualism that we have seen destroying our our love for one another. So I just wanna read a little bit from the introduction. For those of you who haven't read the book, I hope that um, you'll pick it up and Continue to ripple this bacteria that we have put into the world. Infect your friends with it. Um, Have conversations like these that are difficult. Difficult conversations are my favorite kind. And the book is full of them because life is full of them. You know, we are life and we are death. And in all of those things, there is beauty and rebirth and the growth that comes from rot that is fundamental to each one of our works and our lives. There is no beginning, there is no end, except in the case of this meeting that we're having today, there will be an end, and it's coming in a minute. With this book, we hope to reach out into the wider web of all those who feel drawn to be a witch, people who, like us, want a way to connect with nature and each other, but who find themselves alienated by dogma, dogma, cynical of new age spiritualism, or left out and insulted by the unexpected thorns of misogyny, commodifying racism, nationalism, transphobia, anti-science, and more that can appear in modern mainstream paganism our beliefs are much more deeply rooted in research than in blind faith. But we still get funny looks from time to time when we call ourselves witch. Dismissed as flaky or demeaned as illogical, we come to those encounters armed with the words of researcher, scientist, and author, Mygene gonzalez Whippler, who said in her book, The Complete Book of Spells, Ceremonies, and Magic, I don't believe in the supernatural. I believe in nature and all things natural. Everything that, can ha- that happens in this world always happens through natural channels and in accordance with immutable cosmic laws. All things, both real and surreal, are part of the cosmos, where everything has a place and a reason for being. So I take that with me, not for the poetry and the mushrooms that surround me, but also for myself and for all of us. I have a reason for being. I have a place and a reason for being. And so do we all. Let's look for the door to the unknown country and find those reasons for being and find those places that no one ever imagined before. And as you think on that, I'll fade us out. And you can feel free to leave or stay and listen or weep or stick around in the chat while I play these. And again, I'll do it twice so you can sing along the second time. If you like, unmute your microphone if you want to now. Let's get crazy and chaotic with noise. As leaves and empires fall around me fall around me fall around me as leaves and empires
4: fall around
0: me fall around me fall around me me. i give thanks i give thanks for the spirit in all things For the magic that it brings For the seasons change and so must I So in his night Last time As leaves and empires Fall around me Fall around me Fall around me as leaves and empires, fall around, me. Fall, around me. fall around me, fall around me. I give thanks, I give thanks. For the spirit in all things, for the magic that it brings, for the seasons change and so must I. Sawin so is nine. Sawin is nine. Sawin is night thanks
4: everybody
2: thanks for coming thank you thank you thank you, thank
0: you. thanks everyone we
4: thanks. Will- I love- thank you thank you thank, thank you, you everyone we love, love, love you
2: this episode, this episode. I, I have a crazy echo now and that's probably perfect but i'll just tell you this this um conversation will be recorded and will be released on the podcast um, and we can probably convince Amy to just record that song for us as well. And we'll release that to yeah. you. There's some requests. So thank you. We love you. See you thank up. you. Bless fucking be.
0: Bless a fucking bee. On
1: y'all. You must be a witch.
0: Season six of the Missing Witches podcast is sponsored in part by Foxglove Farm go to foxglove farm that's farm with a p h like pharmacy dot com and use offer code missing witches when you sign up for your monthly subscription box of witchy delights and sponsored by listeners like you you who join our patreon and come to our coven meetings you who buy our book recommend it to your friends and review it online we thank you and if you love
4: this episode Tip us at paypal.me slash missing witches.